Welcome to the Film Photography Podcast, the podcast for people who love to shoot film. And this is episode number 27. Wow. Wow, really? 27 we've done? Maybe. Yes, February 1st, 2011. Feels like hundreds. That my was HBO to be like our sixth season. <laughs> my, really? Yeah. My name is, yeah. My, like four shows. My name is Michael Rosso, and I'm sitting here to my left is John Fideli. Hello. And Dwayne Pokew. Hello, everyone. And uh, this is actually the first time that I... Uh, have kind of counted. I've always wanted to intro the show saying, oh, you know, welcome to episode number, but I never could figure that out because I never checked hmm. the log. But this is episode... <laughs> Captain's log. This is episode number 27. And what's different about this episode is the fact that uh, over the uh, the break and whatnot, we uh, transformed the studio. And uh, Dwayne... You, 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 you will, swept? You will attest. <laughs> no, we <laughs> exactly. didn't sweep yet. You will attest to this. We're used... I'm used to recording the podcast in a very dark, we usually have like one light yeah. bulb, like yeah. a 40 watt bulb, no joke. Yeah. Like the, the, the windows are open and like one little lamp mm-hmm. and we start recording in the afternoon. It was like low end burglars counting their <laughs> booty after a really, a really bad bank heist. Here's a 20. It was so dark and dank and you know, like a one yeah. little bulb. Was what it was like. And we, we'd record and record in like four o'clock, five o'clock and then it would just be dark. Mm. So what's different now is that we are now uh, ablaze in we're light. We're in the light, yes. Because we're, uh, this is the first ever, um, I don't want to call it an experiment, our, uh, our technical director, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jeff. Uh, we're, we're doing an experiment to try to capture the joy of film photography <laughs> podcast. Visually. <laughs> Visually. We have a studio audience. <laughs> hey, guys, doing back up there. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't and that be nice? But we'll see how that goes. <laughs> hey, maybe next year we'll have a studio audience. We're going to have a comic open for know. us. Yes. The, da- the downside is that you, we can't just slum it, like just wear no. a ripped shirt. No. I mean, I guess we could. I but can't come in hungover I've, and unshaved. I've never seen you in a, uh, a suit jacket in my life, Mike. Mm. Really? You look very dapper with the hat. And next the time you'll see him in a suit jacket, is in the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> in the box. With an FPP little tattoo on his head. Well, we have a, a really special show today. It's February 1st. It's freezing out. It's winter Ugh. here in the eastern United States. Uh, I mean, really, really, really cold. How much snow can you photograph, really? Well, it's not so much that, but I can't. I, I'm having a hard time getting myself in the mood to actually get up, grab a camera, and go yeah. out. It's, it's too bitter cold. It is bitter it's like cold. 20 degrees, 30 degrees. And I was trying for the longest time to kind of get out every day and go on a photo walk and just see if I could find anything interesting to shoot between, mm-hmm. like, my, my studio and, let's say, well, the Dunkin' Donuts. Right. Here's some inspiration for you. My friend yes. Clark Lubbs, who owns a photography gallery. Was that, uh, Clark? Clark Lubbs. Lubbs. L-U-B-B-S. I loves that name. He owns, a, he owns a photography gallery, and I believe it's in uh, Old Forge, New York, called the Starving Artists Gallery, and they sell his photography. And he uh, contacted me on Facebook and said it was 30 below zero. Oh, oh. God. So in comparison, that's not too bad. Mailbag. We have quite a full mailbag. We're not going to be able to get through all of our letters, but mm-hmm. I'm going to just try the best as I can. Okay. First letter is from Paul Murphy in Dublin. Ah, Dublin. He says, you recently gave away the plastic book to a guy in the UK who mm. shoots on a Spina 8M. Spina? <laughs> the, well, the guy in the UK was Darren Pancho Riley. Wow. 
the oh, book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He won the book. Friend, yes. music, musical friend. Yes. Uh, and, um, I, I, you know, I never heard of a Shemina. It sounds like, it's, to me, it sounded like one of your birds, John. Well, my bird is Mina. Oh, Shmina. she had a brother. Maybe I would name him Shmina. That's a good idea. <laughs> the Flying Shmina Brothers. Hello. <laughs> I also shoot on the Shmina, and would like to tell you guys a little about it. it How do you spell Shmina? S M E N A, eight M. Where's it from? It is by far the best thirty-five millimeter camera I have. I prefer it to all my SLRs. Hmm. It's a compact, manual-focused thirty-five millimeter camera from the original Lomo company. The Shmina cameras became somewhat contraband in the United States at the end of the 60s as a Shmina camera was found in the apartment of Lee Harvey Oswald. (laughs) Is that right? Lee Harvey Oswald, yeah. And and as it is a Russian camera, it was frowned upon. Oh, I see. I think I've seen some old photo magazines from the 60s with Lee Harvey actually doing an ad. Paul oh says that Lomography.com is now selling this camera, but he says it's also available on eBay. So, I, you know, I, I'm not familiar with this camera, mm. and I love, you know, cameras that you're not familiar with that you kind of find and kind of hold yeah. and shoot with. So... Is it a rangefinder or... Uh, no. It doesn't, you don't know? The fact that Darren... I'm going to write to Pancho. Pancho. And ask him what the score is on the camera. So we'll, we'll revisit the, uh, the Shmina mm-hmm. in, in the episodes to come. In next month, perhaps. Here's a letter from our good friend, Dave Lyon. Dave is in Utah, and he said, Dave wrote before, he's yeah. the truck driver, right. driving through Utah. Laughing and his butt off, listening to the photography Exactly. Podcast. We wanted to know if the kids were like, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> he was telling us about Kodachrome Basin, right? He's, he's, I think so. He yeah. says, I just want to say thanks for making me laugh as I drive down two-lane road last month. When I heard you starting to read my letter, I started laughing and was glad it did not have any oncoming traffic. Oh, dear. To answer questions you asked, I do get kids asking me to blow the air horn. That's nice. Yes. To answer Dwayne's question, if I can get down to color country, I would love to shoot. He says, in Utah. Uh, He's saying basically that the roads he travels, the roads I travel have limited access to color, meaning trees, and I'm planning sometime soon to, uh, you know, go to the southern end of the state with you know his wife on vacation which is the most yeah. colorful part it's probably hard to pull over an 18 wheeler just to <laughs> yeah a lot of the roads a lot of the roads in southern utah that go to the scenic spots are light duty anyway i mean yeah, you yeah. can't take a tractor trailer through there west jordan is on the southwest side of salt lake valley i get totally confused i guess you what asked you just i guess we asked west jordan. where is west jordan utah oh yes we did actually yeah that's near salt lake city so uh did thank you do you send a picture of his rig he uh, sent some images Oh, he of, did. Uh, some, some images he uh, took from his uh, rig. These are some images that uh, Dave Lyons Oh, look at that. Took. Look at that rock. It's crazy. It's a hoodoo. That is a time exposure. Nice. That's technically called a hoodoo. It looks like a dinosaur. Well, when, a rock, when a rock hangs on top of another rock? Uh, when you have something that has a phallic sort of shape, it's actually geologically called a hoodoo. Oh, is that right? Yeah. What about the classic... I guess to a geologist who spends his, his time, <laughs> I you, guess, know, you know, look at those rocks. folks out yeah, there, yeah. when you think of Ooh. Utah, I think of, you know, Roadrunner cartoons. Yeah. Because you have desert, the desert, straight desert rock, and then you have like a me, me. rock, and then on top of rock, you right. have a huge rock just dangling on like a, what is that called? Waiting for the coyote to no. come so yeah. it's it can fall It's called a death trap. <laughs> <laughs> no, a, a rock dangling on top of another rock? Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite envisioning what you're describing. Oh, it's like, like this. That's the rock. Look at that. I would call that a hoodoo. Oh, that's a hoodoo. Yeah, there are a lot of formations in Utah, like Goblin Valley State Park and Bryce Canyon. Anytime you have like a vertical sort of uh, formation, right. 
they're, they're generally called hoodoos. H-O-O-D-O-D-I-E-D-E. Now, Dwayne, when you're shooting in the desert, are there areas that are, like, you know, not roped off, but, like, a sign that says, da- like, are you in danger? Danger everywhere, Mike. <laughs> danger is my middle name. Uh, moonshiners and tarantulas and rattlesnakes. Watch out for scorpions. <laughs> Watch out for them scorpions. What do you mean? I'm sorry, re- rephrase the question. When you're in the desert shooting, is there any danger out there? A like of a landslide? Um, <laughs> One of the greatest dangers, oddly enough, in the desert, especially southern Utah, are flash floods. Mm. A lot of people like to photograph what are called slot canyons. Okay. And they're very, very narrow canyons in sandstone. They're very sinuous, and they're carved by water at times of flash floods. A lot of people go into these places not knowing that, oh, this thing's carved by water. It's a sunny day outside, but there's a thunderhead 100 miles Mm. away. And when that water comes roaring down, it has the force of a freight train. And every single year, people are killed doing that. Wow. You'd think they would die of dehydration. They'd be bitten by a rattlesnake. They'd mm. fall. They're killed in slot canyons. They're killed by water in, the, by in the, w- the desert. Water in the desert. It's very ironic. See that on the tombstone. I've, a lot of the, the pictures I've posted on Facebook are from Antelope Canyon mm-hmm. on the Navajo Nation in Arizona. And uh, a couple of weeks before I went there the last time, a local told me 14 people got killed in that canyon. Wow. In one day. No kidding. Because of flash. Floods? A flash flood came roaring down, just took them out. They never even found them. Wow. This has taken a, a kind of morose turn. Yeah. Yes. Well, move, moving right along, here's a letter from our friend Brian Moore. Brian is a guest blogger on our mm-hmm. blog site. Uh, if you go to our show notes. Show notes, baby. Uh, if, chung. If, you, if you go to filmphotographypodcast.com, You'll see next to each episode says show notes, and that links show you to, notes, baby. And that links you to our blog. So Brian's been writing some blogs for us. He sent a letter in saying, FPP listeners who may find themselves near the Southern California city of Riverside, he would recommend the California Museum of Photography. Mm. It's a delightful way to pass an hour or two. The place is run by the University of California at Riverside, and uh, he just wanted us to know, like, hey, you know, there is a museum in Southern California called the California Museum of Photography. Interesting. Do they specialize in uh, photographers that are indigenous to California, or is it just, uh, what is its specialty? Does it have any kind of angle to it? Don't know. Going to have to look it up. Look it up. Use the Google. The Google. Here's a letter from Joaquin. Joaquin is in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm 24, and funny enough, I got into photography, into film photography, by my iPhone. (laughs) Stop it! That is funny. You're slaying me. I I had downloaded a couple of photo apps, but the one I used the most was a Lomo-type app, Mm -hmm. and I loved the effect it gave. Yeah, they're cool. Eventually, I came to acquire a Minolta X7A and haven't looked back since. Collecting old cameras and using them has become sort of an addiction. See, it's good. It's kind of a gateway. You know, the iPhone app is is kind of a gateway into the real thing. It really is. All sarcasm aside, I think a lot of people are introduced, especially these days, to photography by using their phone, like you said. Yeah. And someone said, I was reading a couple of days ago, within a couple of years, the quality that you will get from a cell phone or a small electronic device will be the equivalent of a mid-range digital SLR. The chips will get bigger, the resolution will get higher, the lenses will get sharper, and that'll be people's photography. They go on vacation and they're holding their phone and doing that. So film is kind of an esoteric thing. What is film? You know, they kind of want to investigate yes. something else. Especially yeah. all the, the uh, apps, you know, all the textures it applies. Mm-hmm. People would kind of want to check it out for, for real. Yeah. This is, uh, well, thank you, Joaquin. Here's a letter from uh, Tim Vogan. Tim says, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and now live in Portland, Oregon. I hear you speak of Blue Moon Camera a lot, and you are right. They're very nice folks. <laughs> and that is true. Uh, what makes them so just nice? Just a shout out. Um, there's a really nice bunch of guys in Oregon. They have a 
something called Blue Moon Camera and Machine, and they mm-hmm. they they sort of are you know into everything old school, including their prints. When they print, they they do them optically. Oh, really? Yes. In, lo- in other words, enlargers. Correct. But it's called Blue Moon Camera and Machine, and they're also into typewriters. Really? Yeah, old old timey typewriters. Now Apparently there's an analog. Uh, area yeah. that uh, apparently there's a, a cult needs to be picked up on. There's a cult around old time uh, typewriters. Huh. Now, for those of you out there who are, <clears throat> I don't know, under 35, when I was in school, you used to use a typewriter. Oh, Smith Corona. Yeah, you'd get a piece of paper, put it in. Remember the mistakes you'd make? Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. It's horrible. It's just horrifying. There's a great episode of the uh, TV show Californication where David Duchovny's character is finishing his book and he's on a Smith Corona. Oh, really? Yeah, he refuses to use the word processor. A lot of, a few writers use like typewriters, type scripts. Hardcore people. Yeah, but they'd had all sorts of tricks they developed, like electric typewriters that had a correct thing in it, where it would correct the whole sentence. It would go back. It would? Oh, white it out? Yeah, it would white out the whole sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the guy from the Monkees whose mother invented whiteout? Michael Michael Nesmith. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No one uses Whiteout anymore. Yeah. Well, they sold it to Gillette. Really? Yes. The Whiteout. They sold, they sold out. Yeah. Lucky them. Got out just in time before the Cashed market out. fell. What else you got, Mike? Oh, I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> Here's a good one. This is from uh, Brian in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, good day, Mike. That's a great idea. I love, I love your passion. You've inspired me to pick up analog. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? I mean, it really is. You're an inspiration, that's, Mike. That's amazing. But he says, the whole toy camera movement has me laughing as well as crying. I'm 30 years old, and I remember the 110 toy camera and 120 Holgas in show bags from Royal Melbourne Show. What are show bags? Do Americans have show bags? Is it a convention that you go to and they give you like a, a bag of yeah. goodies? Is that a show bag? I don't know. We're going to look it up, Brian. We should have looked it up. Sorry. There's no, we got to translate that. Yeah. Here's a quick letter from Frank Wiley. I listened to your comments about 127 film and wanted to add a few things. A few shows ago, we, we talked about 127 film. Mm-hmm. Did you know that 127 film is 46 millimeters wide and that the film used in long roll portrait cameras? The kind that traveling studios used to use to shoot students. Huh. No kidding. Like uh, yearbook pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the same width and can be purchased from Kodak in Portra Emulsions? I did know that. Hmm. You could go on eBay and you could buy a 100-foot roll of 46-millimeter film, which is the exact same size as 127 film. 127 film is a paper-backed roll film that's on a metal spool, and a lot of the old-timey Kodak cameras use 127 film. So if you have a kind of a thing for 127, or if you're on eBay and you happen to see a 127 camera and you're like, Oh my God, I'd like to shoot with that. Put it in your show bag. (laughs) (laughs) You could actually... Buy an old roll of 127 film, you strip it so that the old film's gone, and then re-roll it yourself in a show bag. I mean, a darkroom bag. A darkroom bag. So, so that it's bulk loaded. It is. Yes, it's bulk loaded. I'm going to put the letters down for a minute and get right into news because we have a lot of exciting news today. First of which, Fujifilm just introduced a new instant film. Ah, that is news. They replaced for 4x5 cameras, there was something that was called FP100B45, which was a black and white film that I'm sure, Dwayne, you maybe used used a Polaroid when it exists. Yes, For your 4x5 camera. So Fuji last year announced that they were going to discontinue their fp 100 be their 100 speed black and white film. Boy, the flack they took for that. They did. So now 
what they did is they they already replaced it in the smaller format, the three and a half by four, I guess it is. And is it three and a half by four or two in the smaller size? <laughs> mm-hmm. So now they introduced the four by five black and white film FP three thousand B. Three thousand? Yes. What does three thousand mean? Is that a speed? ASA. So they have a film for yes. four by five cameras. Yes. That's instant, and its speed is three thousand. Yes. Is it right. black and white or color? It says a black and white. Now officially available in North America, this 4x5 black and white instant film is for use in Polaroid 550 and Fujipak PA45 film back holders. I made several... This, By the way, this is from our good friend Tony Kwong. Ah. I made several inquiries to several distributors like Unique, Adorama, B&H... All of them just started getting stock beginning to mid-January. Freestyle mentioned they'd be getting their shipment in end of January as well. Freestyle! Why would you rate a film ASA 3000? First of all, it's just very ambiguous. Well... Usually films are, you know, 50, 100, 200, 400, and 1,000, and 3000. I thought the same exact thing because I shoot the smaller format. Uh, instant film for mm-hmm. the pack cameras. Okay. The pack cameras, the, the hard-molded pack cameras, they have an ASA switch on them, and the switch they have on the front by the lens is 75 for the 100-speed film, and it switches over to 3,000. Hmm. Oh. So... Well, I guess at one time there was a, a 3,000 film that I never heard of. Yeah, so that's uh, that's very strange. That's you know, it's an excellent question, uh, guys. And uh, um, I don't know that much about Polaroid, so or instant films in general. So maybe that's a was a dumb question. But well, folks out there that are shooting, stupid. well, folks out there that are, that are shooting with a, a real, you know, not saying that the pack cameras aren't real, but they have mm-hmm. automatic. They don't have they don't, what I call a real piece of glass with an f stop on it, selectable shutter speeds. So, Dwayne, if you got a back for a 4x5 camera, would you have to actually set your ASA at 3,000 in order to, to use the film? Well, you would expose that film the way you would expose any film. You would just meter according to the ASA of the film. Hmm. So if it's a 3,000 speed film, you'd set the ASA on your meter at 3,000 and expose the film accordingly. But the thing of it is, I'm assuming, is it a professional film that would go in professional-sized Polaroid backs to be used in the back of a view camera or something like that? I'm assuming that it's for, for fun and for hobby because you can't... It's not 100, 100 yeah, ASA, no, so you can't check it. Right, there's no correlation in speed between that for the sake of proofing and the actual right. film you would use it with, so it's got to be for something like fun. For leisure. It's a leisure film. The big news this past month in early January, of course, was the fact that Polaroid and their creative director, Lady Gaga... <laughs> <laughs> we're so funny. We're going to announce the, the their new products, and they announced in late 2010 that a new camera was going to be marketed, and everyone was trying to guess what this new camera was going to be. I, I, my guess was it was going to be like the Hulk Hogan camera. <laughs> <laughs> every picture would have a picture of Lady Gaga on it, imprinted every frame. No. Well... Polaroid at the CES show, that's a consumer electronics show, made an announcement of this new camera. We, we were all sitting on the edge of our seats hoping that Polaroid would return to some type of film medium. Deep in our hearts hoping it would be Polaroid 600 film. But unfortunately, it was all wishful thinking. I mean, Polaroid is going in a whole different direction. And as a matter of fact, the Polaroid announcer at the show said, We're not thinking outside the box. We destroy the box. Oh, jeez. We're getting into news. typewriters. 
That's where the big money is. Yeah, it sure is. When he said that, I knew it was digital. They are not going to support film. So Lady Gaga announced uh, three items, three new products. The first is a pair of uh, sunglasses. (laughs) Yeah. Sunglasses? (laughs) That has a camera in it. Are you... Kidding me? No. And uh, this is the GL20 camera glasses. Apparently, you can only see Lady Gaga in them. Users Maxwell can, Smart. Users can <laughs> capture or upload <laughs> photographs and video directly to the sunglasses, display them in real time on the outside of the sunglasses, and then crash your car while you're doing it. <laughs> hey, you look good. So, wait a minute. These are basically like you, you wear glasses with images on them for other people to see. Correct. Well, they're designed, cool I, think, I think that Gaga has basically designed these for the fact that, you know, kids who go to clubs or go to see like her concerts mm-hmm. can take pictures through their glasses. She announced the glasses, which most, I think, uh, you know, photographers are not. I mean, it's a very trendy item probably for kids. She also announced the camera, which everyone was sitting on the edge of their seat. How much does this go for? Do you know what's the retail? I don't know the retail. The GL30 instant digital camera combines a digital camera with the instant photo printing of Polaroid. That's kind of cool. Yes, it is kind of cool. that's nice. Images are recorded digitally and then selected as desired for instant photo printing directly through the device. The camera can stand vertically to permit easy scrolling and display of captured images. So you take your digital camera, you hook up it to this device, and it prints out the images you've taken. Correct. On what's known as Zinc Zero Ink technology. Really? Hmm. Yes. Have you seen any of them yet or not? I only saw... Zinc Zero Ink? What what do they use to print it out with? The photo paper is embedded with dye crystals that are activated during printing by heat. (gasps) By Lady Gaga herself. (laughs) She has to pass her hand over it. The process requires no ink or inkjet cartridges, and the resulting images are tear-resistant, smudge-proof, and water-resistant. That's pretty crazy. Each paper... That's uh, that's wild, wacky stuff. Each cartridge prints 10 prints, and the printer prints 40 photos on a single charge. The third item is a mobile printer that you could put in your purse, John. Great. <laughs> Been waiting for this. And these are Bluetooth items. The mobile printer is Bluetooth. Oh, that's interesting. All, these, are, these, are known, these products, John, are known as gray label products. But, you know, these are all just, you know, really complicated ways of, of getting instant images, don't you think? Uh, like the Polaroid, you just push the button and it comes out, and you're like, "Hey, well, they're not picture. abandoning that entirely, are they?" The, the whole. The but whole now it's like you push a button, and you got to send it through your Bluetooth to print it out. <laughs> it's like, what do you need to carry around three devices for? Well, here, here's instead, the, John, you're not exploding and destroying the box. I know, I'm living inside the box. <sighs> In a nutshell, gentlemen, mm-hmm. Polaroid has abandoned film, traditional film. Yes. Technology and, and going in the direction of zinc technology. So yeah. this announcement has finally put the last nail in the coffin that Polaroid is not returning to film. And it, many people thought that they were going to partner with Fujifilm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't you they know, just sell the formula? Why do they got to be so stingy? <laughs> their Polaroid 300 camera is a, a, a repainted Fuji camera. And the film for the Polaroid 300, although it says Polaroid 300 film, is made by Fuji. So you're saying the days of picking up a plastic camera, putting it to your face, depressing a button, and spitting out an instant print are over with? No. <laughs> Fuji film supports it. Okay. Uh, Fuji but from Pol- I mean, from Polaroid. From Polaroid. That's done. That's officially done. As of right now, it's officially done. I think if people could take to the streets. Taking it to the streets. <laughs> I, I, a lot of people, a lot of film photographers especially, especially all the people that have been shooting instant photography, that have rallied behind Impossible Project, are saddened 
very disappointed. It's disappointing news. The the, the press announcement was also like, yeah, we're crushing, like, you know, they, mm. they, they want to move forward. Yeah, no doubt. You know, which isn't a bad thing. Well, it's got to be good for the impossible people, though. I think it's good for the impossible yeah, people. Yeah, why would I think it be the, bad? I think the impossible people should uh, develop their own Absolutely. camera. Their impossible camera. John, I will like to tell you that as yes. of right now, mm-hmm. that their Bluetooth technology does not work with Apple products. <gasps> really? That's a big mistake. So, well, because they probably got to pay Apple big bucks. They're going to re- I would guess that they're going to resolve the problem with Apple so mm. that by the end of the year when they introduce these products, like the portable printer. Right. Let's say you're at a party and uh, you have your iPhone and you yeah. want and your mother-in-law comes over. Yes. And you want to like, you know, pr- just print a few things for her. Like, "Oh, check out the kids." I just email you know? them to her. <laughs> She can print them out at home. <laughs> You'd be able to take the, the, the Polaroid printer out of your purse, John. Yeah. And you would be able to, from Bluetooth, from your iPhone, print it right out. Oh, it's a fascinating idea, but it sounds just like... I don't think it's as complicated as... It sounds as too much. It sounds like something that's like, who needs to carry that around with them, though? I don't think it's as complicated as you think, John. It's like, print things out later. What do you got to have instant gratification for? It's like the, the film instant gratification is unique because it's film and it's like big and it's bulky and it looks like film, you know? You don't need digital photos at your fingertips, I don't think, anyways. Anyone out later. Anyone that's been listening to the show knows that uh, we are on Flickr.com in a group called the Film Photography Podcast. And Flickr.com is a site that's managed by Yahoo and it allows you to join for free and you could post your images and then you could join groups. So let's say you like shooting with your Canon AE-1. You could search groups, find a Canon AE-1 group and find other like-minded photographers who are shooting with the same camera you're using, the same film stock. It's really a huge resource. For you pick up some tips. Pick up you some give tips. some tips. You see lots of great images. You can get together. Now, <laughs> you can uh, have a barbecue. On the Film Photography Podcast Group, we're doing what's known as our second, this is our second, by the way, our second print exchange. Yes. And th- our print exchange is run by FPP listener Michael Kalea. And we met Michael Kalea. We did. At the uh, PDN, the Photo District News trade show in New York City this past November. Yes, we did. And Michael ran a a tight ship last time and uh, he suggested we do it again and you may say what is it Mike yes what is it uh, well you go to flickr.com go to the film photography podcast group and after sign up after, after signing up you uh, you go into the thread that says print exchange number two and you just leave a message that says I'm in and then once you're in can we enter it as well I'm in can we enter it as well yes okay I'm in what's your problem <laughs> now what happens is Michael will do like a jambatha a jambatha and he'll uh, randomly select someone for you to send a print to and vice versa. These have to be uh, prints that were produced in the traditional film medium, correct? What's considered a print? Prints can be any analog photograph format, instant photography included, but can be printed photographically or digitally from a scanned file. Ah, that was my question. Uh, There's no size limit. Pick your size that best fits your budget and image. Can I make a 4 by 5 foot mural print? (laughs) (laughs) No. no. You just need to send it. You don't need to mat it or frame it. So if if anyone out there listening is interested in getting involved with a print exchange, you may want to know that the last day to sign up is February 17th, 2011. Pretty cool, huh? Gentlemen, it's now time to talk about our contest. Gentlemen's? Did you say gentlemen's? (laughs) (laughs) We have three 
three. We have three items to give away. What are we, oh, this is great. This is my favorite part. That's why I really? get, uh, get out of bed for this. Really? Yeah. It's exciting, don't you think? The to first give thing stuff we're away? Doing, we're giving away is. <gasps> we that. have a Fuji Instax 200 instant camera. And I'm really excited about this. This is a fantastical camera. Mm hmm. Fantastical. And Dwayne, this is the answer to your question about instant photography. Uh, Fuji film is very much into. Instant photography. These Instax days. 200 instant camera from Fujifilm. And then <laughs> it produces a wide picture. Super wide. Yes. And this is from our friend uh, Tony Kwong. Thank you, Tony. He Tony. donated this. Yeah, oh, that's, that's so right. nice of him. Really, really it really is. And we opened this before, and it was, as we saw, it's brand new. Yeah. The, battery, the batteries aren't even cracked. Pristine. Yeah, pristine. So that was very cool. So let's give it away. We're going to give it away. 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 Give it away now. Well, I didn't it? crunch up them and, and spend hours putting all of our... our, our uh, this is what you should do. No, no, I'm going to fan them out. Oh, I was going to say, you should throw it up in the air. No. And whatever lands on the table next to you, that's the winner. <laughs> that's a great idea. Come on, it's a visual format now. No, no, no. Come on. All right, how about we light okay. them on fire, the last name that we so could who's read. Who's going to pick? You pick this one. You pick okay. this one. Now, what are you going to do, John? I want to throw them up in gonna the air. you going to close your eyes? No, please. I, I, who's going to so clean it up? boring. Can you... Joe clean it up. <laughs> yeah, you can't Joe. fan through them. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and like paint a nice picture in your brain. Okay. And then you're going to thumb through these, like with your finger, and caress and feel the paper, okay. and then pick a winner. How long, could, how long do I have? Because <laughs> like, this may take a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. John has When some. I eat a York peppermint patty, <laughs> I get the sensation. Oh. oh, wait. That's not it. Oh. This is an episode of MTV Skins. The winner is David Mahali. Mahali. After a... Yes. Where's he from? Westerville, Ohio. All right. Westerville, Ohio? Really? Yep. After a Ute spend dabbling in 126 and 110 film, I was brought back to film photography by the Lomo hype in late 2000s. Lomo hype. The LCA became my main shooter for a few years, but I also played around with some toy cameras in medium format. After flings with some thrift store fake panoramic 35 cameras, I found myself drawn into something a little more dependable. A friend gave me an Olympus OM-2. And I've been an Olympus junkie ever since. I love the Trip 35 and lots of other cameras. My true love is Polaroid. And that's why I like to get back into shooting instant film. I appreciate all you do and support you felly, you felly, you fellow filmheads. Thank you, John. That's it. Very good. Great. That's excellent. David, awesome. Yeah. Good luck with that. Actually, it looks like it could be fun. See, that would be fun at parties. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Very fun at parties. Is it my turn to pick one? Yes. Now, we're picking. We're now picking two winners, <gasps> which is known as our AGFA film giveaway. Oh, right. If you recall, we're giving away three rolls of film mm -hmm. to two lucky winners. That's right. Three rolls apiece. APX 100. We'll fight over the one and split it. And no, cut APX 25, 100, and 400. APX 25. Oh. So... It's a lot of people were excited oh, about this. Oh, my God. APX 25. Oh. Oh. So Dwayne here, Dwayne's going to pick two winners for the... How come he gets two? AGFA film. It's very exciting. For those of you watching, you can... The, the excitement is palpable. <laughs> There's one. Okay. <gasps> wow. Okay.
It's a listener from Madrid, Spain. Alvaro Munoz Acunes Martinez. I went back to shooting film three years ago. Now I mostly do medium format 6x6. The truth is I shoot almost anything, but a big part of my work is looking for curious and forgotten places to shoot. Mm. I'm heading to New Jersey next month. (laughs) Alvaro in Madrid, Spain. Congratulations. There you go, buddy. Yeah. There's some fun things. Who else we got to do? Our next winner... is Mr. Andrew Delahunte. Hi, chaps. As usual, an excellent podcast for New Year Hope 2011 is a good one for you photographically and personally, too. I'd love the opportunity to win some of Agfa film. Mm. It really is proper nice stuff and deserves a good home, like mine. With a little smiley. He added a smiley. I'm an archaeologist by profession. Wow, interesting. And recently came back to photography as a hobby after getting utterly disillusioned with having to use digital all the time for work. Then I picked up my Zenit E that I learnt photography on about 15 years ago and rediscovered the joy of it all again. I know. Took a crappy Soviet camera to get me hooked again. My favorite thing is to use a Lubitel 2, which has a slightly slow shutter and a propensity for flare at the top, but I love it with a passion. Mm. With a blinding, burning Passion that See? burns like a blinding candle. I didn't say that. I now use it at work taking extra shots after using the digital kit, and the images have more soul than anything taken with a 2,000 quid Nikon DSLR. He just said soul. it. Soul. He Got just some said soul. it. That's it, man. Other See? than that, I have a thing for Practica and Zenit cameras, and still believe that the minuscule and super slow Indistar 50-2 on a Practica MTL-5B is one of the nicest combos you could ever use. Get one today. And that was Mr. Andrew Delahunty. Thank you for entering the contest. There you go. Great. <laughs> and that's it. Good night, folks. <laughs> So that was great. They're going uh, across the, the pond, as yes, they, they say. Are. The next one is the big one, guys. We're giving away what started out as a rather small contest. Uh, our friend, listener, He Sue, sent us a Ciroflex 120 TLR camera with Rodinol equivalent developer and film. That's right. I remember that. And what happened was, then Keith Derrickson then wrote to us and said, Well, you know, um, I have uh, have some stuff that maybe will, uh, you know, help. Like uh, some beakers and... Uh, Oh, really? Yes. Some lab accoutrement. Yes. And then another listener, Ron O'Connor, uh, said, I have a thermometer and some Paco film clips. Wow. And then... So this package is growing. Yes. And then I sent a note to our friends at uh, Freestyle. And said, hook me up. Freestyle. Freestyle. Hook me up. <laughs> I did. I said, I said, freestyle. Freestyle. Yeah. I said, we're giving away all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Can you send mm-hmm. us what's missing? So this is what we have. The Ciroflex 120 TLR. Check. One, one roll of <laughs> <laughs> Fuji. <laughs> one roll Fujifilm Neopan 100. Check. One roll Fomapan 100 Classic. Check. One roll Fomapan 400 Action. Check. One roll Arista Ultra 400. Check. Wow. Ultra check. A vintage home development tank. Check. Rodinol equivalent, equivalent developer. Couldn't be better. Check. Arista Indicator Stop Bath. Check. Arista Universal Fixer. Check. Arista Hypo Wash. Check. Arista Flow Wedding Agent. Check. Vintage Measuring Cups Beakers. Wow, check. Vintage Thermometer. Check. Paco Film Clips. Oh my goodness. Mm. It's crazy, huh? Wow, dude, you're going to have to drive a truck up to the person's house that wins now, this. Now, the, 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 
the beautiful thing is. <laughs> hey, did you ever find that stuff? Oh, John, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that uh, I f- we found the Kiev 6C? Right. Where was it, Mike? And the Vivitar PN 2011. Where? Uh, well, when we were setting up the studio, we were moving a lot of things around, mm-hmm. and in the back storage room, there was a, well, what I normally would call a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a pile of stuff, like... A box on top of a box on top of a box mm-hmm. with like a blanket over it and then like a coat over it <laughs> in, wow. in a corner. Mm-hmm. So it was thoroughly concealed. Behind the door. So Forget it. it That's was forgotten. It That's was com- a place that that one listener would like to shoot so from I was, Madrid, Spain. So I was uh, place. cleaning and I found the box and it was like, oh my God, it's the... Uh, it's <laughs> did the you, I bet you actually gasped. I, I, did, I did. I think you did. So we found the Kiev 6C. If you are a listener of the podcast, you will know that it went missing we thought it was connected to maybe the uh, Polaroid uh, talking camera with the ghost. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Oh, yeah. That was weird. Yeah. There was a lot of weird stuff going on in the studio. It was around Christmas time. Yeah. We didn't know exactly what it was. But our new contest, which is known as the Ceroflex and Black and White Home Development Kit. What's in that kit again, Mike? No. <laughs> Tick. Look at that. A lot of entries here. Thank you, man. <laughs> Check out. Look at that. Oh, my God. That's Fantastic. a lot of people who want this tasty, tasty yes. treat. And we have one winner out of this. So how do you want to? How do you want to pick it? Do you want me to just fan it, and you guys just pick one? I'll stick. You fan it. I'll stick my finger in. Okay. Wherever my finger sticks, that's right, the guy. Here we go. Or girl. Ready? Here we go. Yep. I'm gonna close my eyes too. Do it fast. The winner of the Ceroflex 120 TLR and Home Development Kit is none other, none other than Joe Labrandi Cowan, JLC from Auburn, New York. Wow. Yeah, he, maybe he can come down here and pick yeah, it up. Really. There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a 19-year-old college student in upstate New York and cu- currently studying photography. That's great. We're giving it to wow, a student. Wow, that's really cool. I shoot almost only film. Wow. Uh, cool. So well, this is finding a perfect home. It is finding <laughs> a perfect home. In this fast-paced world where kids my age are used to having every Everything instantly. Everything handed them on a silver platter. It's nice to wait for something and be proud of what you produce. There you go. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm very, very glad that we gave it to a student. Yes. I was hoping that. Two very prophetic statements. The soul of a photo and someone waiting to see the results of what he has done, what he has crafted, but with his own hands. That's what we're here for, isn't it? Absolutely. guys? (laughs) Hug? Group hug? (laughs) No. Thank I, you, uh, Father John. I want to thank everyone who sent in who sent in all that uh, all the entries. That's a That's lot of entries. Lot. We have a lot of entries. This was a very popular contest, and we'll do our best to do something you know similar to it. Maybe we'll see down. the developing is a big hit. Developing is a huge hit. And that's what everybody wants to hear about. What other exciting things can we talk about? We talk about Lady Gaga. We're giving stuff away. Uh, let's talk about our new contests. Okay, fine. By the way, uh, anyone can reach us at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com uh, or uh, people who want to write a traditional letter uh, or send things in you could send it to P.O. Box 152, Butler, New Jersey, 07405, USA. Gentlemen, I would like to point out what we're starting this month, hopefully moving forward, mm-hmm. is a monthly giveaway every month, our film. Filmorama giveaway, and what what has happened over the past few months is that uh, film photography podcast listeners have been sending film to us, and I've been putting all that film in a separate area in mm. my film vault, in the corner under a coat. <laughs> yes, so that we could start now a film giveaway. So every month, starting March first, we could pick a winner, two winners, one thirty-five millimeter, one one twenty, until we run out of inventory. That's great. So, so it, every month, at least, we're giving away film. Yes. So if anyone out there has film, like some people cl- like have a lot of film, and after a while, maybe you, you know, 
you bought too much, mm -hmm. you're moving on to a different stock. Mm -hmm. If you have extra film, uh, please do send it in to us. We'll be happy to have it, and we will rotate it to other listeners. Uh, also going on at the filmphotographypodcast.com, I see Dwayne is looking at the FPP 2011 calendar. If you donate to FPP uh, until supply runs out, you will get a 2011 calendar. Fantastic uh, looking item. Or if you have an item to give, like a camera, mm -hmm. uh, just send me an email first so we can have a dialogue about what camera you have, is it working, et cetera, so forth. And one-of-a-kind calendar. That is a one-of-a-kind calendar. There's a photo right over your shoulder, and there's some more photos right there. And there's crazy bird. And I'm going to show you my favorite photo. May, may I show you my favorite yes, photo? Yes, that would be fantastic. You show me yours, I'll show you mine. That's your favorite? Yeah. Oh, that is uh, model Aaron Russ, and uh, it was a setup we did for Halloween. Spooky face. Spooky, Spooky face. face. What's your Fra favorite? Frame face. Scary, scary face. Uh, the woman photographs beautifully, Dwayne. Yes, she does. I mean, beautifully. That's Here your favorite? It it's my favorite. What is it? They Good day, sunshine. <laughs> it's very cinematic. It almost it's looks filmic. Fake. It looks like something out of the movie Alice in Wonderland. That is a, a sunflower That's I awesome. shot on Ace Road in Butler with a Spectra camera. Ah, it's the Spectra. Yes. Uh, so send your entries in if you uh, want to win some film. Tell what, us. What's, what's the film stock that we're giving away this next month? Jambalta. Oh, just whatever we got. Everything gets thrown in the pile. <coughs> what's this word, Jambalta? Jambata. Jambalta? Gibraltar? Jambata. Jambata. Just a it's an Italian yeah, word yeah, for yeah. all mixed up. Oh, it's Jambata. So. It's like Michigas. Yes. Exactly. Right. Contest for February. Here's a package from uh, my good friend Ian Cook. Hey, all right. Hello, Ian. Ian is one of the primary Olympus trippers in the world. Yep. The Olympus <laughs> Trip 35. This is a world-famous world famous Olympus camera, and this is what I would call a cult camera. There's a huge following behind the Olympus Trip 35. It's a fantastic camera. comes in a beautiful leather, real leather case, not yeah, leatherette. Look at, Look at that thing. It tricks. Look at that. Beautiful. Wow. That is really nice. It's it a has a um, looking camera. This camera has a selenium light meter. Uh, this camera was. No batteries. No batteries. This camera's famous because no batteries. Mm -hmm. The Olympus Trip 35. You just grab it and go. Selenium light meter right here in the auto mode, or as I call it, auto. Auto. It just selects the f stop shutter speed itself. It has two shutter speeds 1 40th of a second, and I believe 1 200th of a second. And you could switch it to manual f 2.8 to f 22 and when you put it in manual mode you are at 1 40th of a second you can also snap a flash on top it has what's known as a hot shoe very hot shoe today and i'm in love with this camera this I is know. a lovely lovely camera so, and are you giving away a flash too we're not oh yes and this comes with uh, this comes with auto 14 sun pack flash does that itself have a uh has it comes selenium no no, no no okay no wouldn't that be great flash that didn't need batteries Yes. Well, the selenium light meter, it, the selenium uh, pods somehow absorb, sense the light. Mm. And it's amazing, isn't it, yeah, Dwayne, when you crazy. think about it? It is amazing. It's amazing. The fact that, that... Amazing. The fact that you don't need batteries. There were many, many light meters, and I still have one, that are selenium light meters that simply don't need batteries. Really? They go back to the 1960s, and they still work to this very day. Right. Wow. I love cameras that don't need batteries. And I think a lot of folks out there, it blows their mind when you tell them that you have a camera that's one of a kind. Now, to win the Olympus Trip 35, all you need to do is send us an email at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We need your name and mailing address. And, um, next month... 
on the March 1st show. We're going to pick a winner. Can't wait. Fantastico. I can't wait to see the pile. If you guys are listening, really interested in a unique camera, you got to get into this one. What, the Olympus Trip 35? Yeah. Uh, that's not all. That's oh. not all. Wait, what? What? Giving away that table? It's a beautiful table. A Holga? Oh, yeah. Check it out. Check it out. Look at that one. That's a big one. This is, this is a, the traditional Holga 120N mm, look camera. Look at that. This is from FPP listener Jason. Has quite a few cameras, and he decided that he wanted to donate this to the show. Awesome. This is, in my opinion, the Holga to have. It's very versatile in the sense that it has a hot shoe, baby, mm. right on top to put yes. your own flash. And, uh, you know, I've used the Holga, the 120N, and I've used the 120FN that has a flash built in. And quite frankly, I prefer the, the, the off the, the, the hot shoe because the flash built in doesn't give you as yeah. many um, options. options. Uh, last time on the podcast, we talked about putting a little slip cube on top mm -hmm. that had a PC uh, adapter on the side yes. that would allow you to, let's say, put the cube and then you have a flash with a PC adapter off to the side so you could vary your light and flash from underneath to create like spooky images hmm. from the side for dramatic. Hold the oh. spooky. Yes. From backlight, you backlight someone if you you know don't want to see their face. Yeah. Jason also included a roll of Tri-X 400 film. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's and, a nice package. Yeah, a nice package. You could win this by sending an email to filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo. Uh, just send us your name, your mailing address, and tell us a little bit about you and your film photography. I should note that if you want to enter more than one contest, that is fine, but just send a separate email mm -hmm. for each entry. And then in the header, just put the giveaway name, right. like Holga120N. We have another <clears throat> contest to announce. Oh, my goodness. For next month? Yeah. We're giving away three cameras in March. It's awesome. Uh, we exchange this to the Film Giveaway Podcast. Yeah, really? <laughs> we're also giving away a Diana camera. A Diana? Yes. Page. And we're going to talk about that right after this quick break. Hi, my name is Butcher. I'm Brain Chomper. And I'm Gambling Man. We're here to tell you about our show, The Killer Reviews Podcast. Each week we discuss movies new and old, talk about our lives, and every once in a while we'll have interviews like Fred Vogel from Tag Pictures, Daniel Harris of the Halloween franchise, and Charles Gibson, the special effects advisor for Terminator Salvation. We also have special episodes like our full review of the Alien Quadrilogy, a Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective, and Clash of the Titans. And we're also very, very sexy. Especially you, gambling. Yeah. Our podcast is available at KillerReviews.com. And if you sign up for our forums between now and 2012, you enter a chance to win a romp in the sheets with Big Butch. Hey, it's Mike Rosso, and I'm here to tell you about The Pink Delicates and their full-length album, Who Stole the Quiet Day. You've heard lots of cuts here on the podcast, and you can check out their full-length album by going to cdbaby.com and searching pink delegates their music is right there ready for download purchase or buy the cd check out the pink delegates who stole the quiet day Hey, this is Michael Rosso, producer of the Film Photography Podcast. If you visit our newly revised homepage, filmphotographypodcast.com, you'll notice that in the upper right-hand corner there's now a donate button. This means we want you to get involved. You can donate a vintage camera, as long as it works, some film, or U.S. dollars, which we'll turn around and put right back into the podcast, filmphotographypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. 
Okay, we're back. You know, I've been hearing about Diana camera now for like well over a year. Diana this, Diana that, Diana. And I always wondered what it was. I found out it was a toy, a plastic camera. Finally, my curiosity was piqued enough that I went on ebay.com and I bought a vintage Diana camera. I'm going to have to assume that this camera is from the 1960s based upon the various... Um, Crazy images. Yeah, you know, it, it just, I mean, this looks like 60s vibe to you guys. Definitely. Yeah. So I did my research on this camera because I was really curious what the score was with this camera. Where what did it come from? What is the score from? with this thing, man? You know, because, I mean, he, you hear, everything you hear now is Holga, 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 Holga. Yeah. But the Diana has a little cult following of its own. And these cameras are not cheap. These are basically giveaway plastic cameras. But now you, can, you can't yeah, find... Yeah, you find them in show bags, right? <laughs> You're lucky if you could find a camera like this for under $30 US. Now, according to the Wikipedia, the first Diana appeared during the early 1960s as an inexpensive box camera sold by the Great Wall Plastic Factory in Kowloon, Hong Kong. Most were exported to the United States and the UK. Hmm. And the Diana was imported by the Power Sales Company of Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. During the 60s, uh, these were wholesaled, 144 cameras at about 50 cents U.S. per oh unit. God. Uh, they were used as giveaway items. What, like corporate giveaway items? Yeah, I think they were just in like Christmas gifts, uh, junk, you know, like do- dollar stores. Mm. They didn't have dollar stores back then. It was a five and dime. <laughs> Thank you, John. Walmart, Dollar Trees, Target. Oh, I'm glad you asked, John, because it says, Most Diana cameras were given away or sold for nominal sums as novelty, prizes at fairs, carnivals, hmm. product promotions, raffles, or other events. For a time, the camera was also regularly advertised for sale in various periodicals through mail-order vendors. Hmm. So you win that at a corny. Yes. You pop a balloon. It's not going to surprise you guys that over time... Come over here and get your camera. The development of inexpensive, higher-quality consumer cameras, such as the Kodak Instamatics, together with the declining popularity of roll film, the demand for the Diana, even as a novelty, began to disappear. Aww. Production of the Diana, its clones, close copies, and variants is believed to have stopped in the 1970s. Then that was that. So I did some further research because I was in a bit of a conundrum. I know that there are new Diana's. Diana's out. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, wait a minute. If, if, if these Diana's are ended in the 1970s, then how is it I still see Diana's popping up all over the place? So what to do, Dwayne? Yeah, how is it? What to do, Mike? Pick what up the it? phone, and I called Laura Nealon at Lomography.com. You actually called her up on the phone. Well, I called Lomography store in New York City, and I didn't know who to talk to, so I got to a directory. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... To hear the directory, press 1. So I pressed the employee directory, and Laura Nealon was in the directory. And it was great, because I'm like, oh, there you go. <laughs> I know her. Hey, what's going on? Hey, you got some Diana questions. What you doing? <laughs> exactly. Hey, I got a couple Diana, quick, quick Diana questions for you. Exactly. I was like, Laura, this is Michael Rosso. We met at the PDN, do you remember? She's like, yes, I do. In 2007, the Lomography.com mm-hmm. started making Dianas again. No kidding. They actually started physically making them. Yes. They didn't refurbish old ones. They actually made they new ones. They make brand new Dianas. Really? Yeah. It's called the Diana Plus or the Diana F Plus. Uh, some of them have like a two-pronged flash that takes AA batteries. That's pretty cool, huh? So we're talking on the phone, and I'm like, well, um, you know, I'm going to be talking about the Diana. By the way, this is my Diana. I bought this on eBay.com. So I said to Laura, I'm like, Laura... Um, would it be possible for you guys to send a, a Diana over for us to give away? And she said, yeah. So we are giving away a, a Diana Plus. 
The Diana, by the way, takes uh, 120 film. For those of you who uh, don't know what 120 film is, I always assume, and then I should never assume, because, you know, not everyone knows what roll film is. This is what it looks like. Uh, roll film is on a plastic core, and it is exactly what it sounds like. Roll film. And if you, this is, uh, by the way, my test film that I use. And if you unroll it, you'll see that it's paper-backed. When I talk about paper-backed film, literally the film is paper-backed. And if you unroll it, you eventually get to, ah, there it is. There's the film. Now, on the back of the paper, it's paper-backed because here's all the numbers that you see when you shoot and you line up ah. the film in your camera. One of these numbers will line up in one of your windows on the back of your camera. A lot of people are confused about roll film because they'll say, Well, I don't understand, Mike, because, you know, one camera, you get 12 exposures, and yet this other camera, I get 8 exposures. Yeah, why is that? It has nothing to do with the film. It has to do with the... With the design of the camera. The design of the camera. Some cameras produce 6 by 45 centimeters images right. too they're called 645 right. cameras so it is dependent upon the design of the camera nothing to do with the film right and it's since it shoots more film you'll get eight exposures per roll rather than 12 because it's shooting a bigger piece have you heard of panoramic cameras that take 120 roll film no kidding there are six by 17 cameras mike how many exposures per roll Oh, gosh, let's say three, three something. So you probably get three. Three exposures, yeah. That's why the numbers on the back are all... For guideline purposes only. Yeah. yeah. The numbers are all over the place. That's because, depending on what camera you're using, the red window on the back of your camera is going to be in a different spot based upon the Diana... This is my first roll in the Diana, by the way. I believe the Diana gives you 12 exposures, uh, and that's why the window's down there. Uh, cameras that will give you, let's say, eight exposures, the window will be up here. For pro-level end cameras, though, and I've had two and 120, I've had a Pentax 6x7 and a Mamiya RZ67 Pro 2, there wasn't even a window. No, you, you, just, you just loaded it till an arrow reached a certain point, you closed the back, and you shot knowing that you were going to get 10 or 12 uh, exposures, respectively. You didn't have to bother counting. Wow. So I think the, uh, the window that you're speaking of is a vestige of older, older design cameras or perhaps toy-level cameras. Okay. Now, when I get a new camera in the mail from eBay.com, the first thing I want to know, especially with a camera that doesn't have a traditional lens, is what is the f-stops available and what is the shutter speed? And thank goodness for the internet, because these days uh, you can find most information on the internet. Uh, the Holgas, by the way, I was uh, pleasantly surprised and happy that Holgas that you buy come with a sheet that actually tells tells you what the shutter speeds are and about what the uh, f-stops are on your lens. With this particular Diana, I found on the internet that it's 1 45th of a second fixed shutter. I always do like a little cheat sheet for myself. I always do like a little piece of tape. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, got so many, I have so many cameras that, you know, you grab a camera to go, you kind of just want to know what the shutter speed is. Yeah. I do, at least. Mm -hmm. So, 1 45th of a second, I wrote it on the back of the camera on a piece of removable tape, and it turns out that, very much like the Holgas, the Diana has three choices of f-stop. You have f8, f11, or f16, and those are chosen on the front. <laughs> and by the way, these f-stops, uh, there are various opinions on the web of what the f-stops actually are, hmm. because it's a plastic camera. You know, it's well, there's a te technical definition of what an f-stop is. Why wouldn't this, this camera... Uh, there are different that. opinions on whether it's f8, f11, f16, or f11, f16, f22. Mm -hmm. But to, to get to your f-stops, on the bottom you have a little lever, 
and it, you have a cloud, a cloud with sun behind it, and a uh, sun, and you could just switch this. And what it does is it puts a little... Takes all the guesswork out of it. It's the sun out. It Put it puts, on the uh, sun. It puts a little mask in your lens. Interesting. And you have a choice of either shooting a picture, you know, at 1 45th of a second, or, or putting it on B for bulb, and that will, leave, of course, leave your shutter open if you want to do a uh, time exposure or something, you know, fancy schmancy. Right. Now, when you, uh, this is definitely not a spy camera because if you want to take a picture of someone and then forward, go ahead to your next frame. <laughs> a bit loud. It's a bit on the loud side. Uh, I'm going to take a uh, picture of, uh, let's see, John and Dwayne are about, I don't know, four to six feet from me. All right, you guys, one, two, three. Very nice. Uh, you could also, um, what I've done in the past, have some fun with it. Let's say you're indoors and you want to take a picture indoors with your Diana or Holga. You, you put it on B for bulb and uh, you just have like a flash. You know, there's no hot shoe here. So you just take your flash and you put it on B for bulb and you keep your shutter open and you flash. Oh, look at that. Yeah, and that'll expose your frame. And uh, make some for some funky stuff in the background, too, if there's some lamps or stuff in the background. so Some blurring. Yeah, it's kind of a way to have fun. Now, we're giving away a modern Diana camera here on Film Photography Podcast, uh, courtesy of our good friends at Lomography.com. It was awful sporty of them to uh, send a camera over. And uh, it's a modern version of this, by the way. Uh, this camera, I believe, is from the 1960s or maybe early 70s. Um, and all you need to do is send an email to filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo. And just give us your name. A little bit about why you uh, are into film photography. <laughs> and your, don't forget your address. If you don't have one, you should get one and experiment. It's fun. Yeah, no, this, these, these you are... Think people have prejudices against There are cameras? photographers that actually make a career well, out of doing fine art photography with these cameras. But do you think there are people out there that are like, look at... These toy cameras, like, <laughs> never. Yes. They used to, well, I think they used to, but it's actually become such a fad hmm. and uh, very, very popular as of the past couple of years that maybe they don't, they don't look at them with such scorn anymore. There are some guys out there like, never! I, would, I, mean, I, don't, I personally don't, don't care to use them because I'm like a sharpness freak. Mm. Right. You would never just break that out just for the heck of it. I would say I'm inclined not to, no. Hmm. What about the fact I that you own... I would prefer not to. What about the fact that you own a Holga now? That is true, courtesy of, of Mike. Yes. I've, not, I've not used it yet. Oh, you should get out there and shoot. When it's warmer, I think I will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. we should take a trip to the city. Yeah. That would be with, nice. With my view camera. Yes. We'll do some really cool shots maybe of the Brooklyn Bridge. I found a great spot, a tremendous spot in Brooklyn where these uh, old uh, railway, I guess what you'd call, what would you call them, rails for railway? Rails. They're, in, they're embedded in the cobblestones, mm -hmm. and they go into the distance where the Brooklyn Bridge is right behind oh, it. Oh, nice. Maybe go there, shoot some 4 by 5 stuff, and take the Holga and do some snaps of us, of us doing stuff. <clears throat> we should all make a trip Some monkeys-type silliness. Yes. Like, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Oh, like the FPP guys, like, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Yeah, why not? As long as I get to be uh, Peter Tork, I'm happy. <laughs> 
Folks out there, we have a great, great contest this month. Please go to our show notes. Show notes. Con, 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 I think that people may say, well, how do I get to the show notes? I believe it's filmphotographyshownotes.com. Brings you right to the show notes to see what we were talking about. What, like, what, you, maybe you're in your car or you're on a bicycle. A pen, maybe you're on a penny farthing. Penny farthing? Listening to the show. You pulled that out of your head, huh? Texting on a penny farthing. Yes. Listening to the show and you, you don't have access. To, you don't know. You can't retain all the... All all the goodness that we're talking about of these cameras, you want to go to the show notes mm. to see exactly what we were talking about. Well, I'm thrilled to announce that it's time for our Dwayne's Book of the Month. Book of the Month. Book of the Month. It's time for Dwayne's Book of the Month. Brett Weston is the son of uh, famous photographer Edward Weston, who really started the, uh, the West Coast School of Large Format Black and White Landscape Photography. And Brett Weston was just such a precocious uh, individual. He became actually very, very well versed in using uh, large format cameras when he was in his teens. And uh, what I like about his work is that um, it's very, very abstract and it's very, very highly detailed. It just has a wonderful luminosity to it. He used to contact print 11 by 14 inch negatives. I mean, can you imagine that process? You've seen my 4 by 5 inch camera, right? Yes. And you've seen an 8x10 camera, which is even bigger. Can you imagine an 11x14 inch camera? I mean, that thing is, is this big. It's like a you know, Sony it's, Betamax. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and he used to, you know, go into the desert. He used to go into Southern California. He used to go into Mexico. And he used to actually uh, process this film, the sheet film on this size camera, and contact print it, actually lay it. The contact printing process is where you're taking the film. Yes. And you're putting it in contact with a piece of photographic paper. You're placing a layer of glass over it okay. to make sure that there's a secure, uh, not adhesion, but to make sure that there's, there's no wrinkles or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. You're exposing it to a light and you're processing that paper. So it's not an enlargement. Crazy. You're getting every nuance and every detail that's present in that film. And he was doing this process when he was in his teens. Wow. So he became yeah. very, very well known at a very young age. And the thing about Brett Weston was when he got older, he said, I'm going to burn all my negatives. When I get to be 80 years old, I'm going to burn my negatives so that no one in the world will be able to print them because no one can print my images the way that I can print them. When he was 80 years old, there was a party at his house, I believe in Carmel Highlands, California, where he took his negatives, lit a fire in his fireplace, and proceeded to throw his entire life's work into the fireplace and burn it. Someone, I believe, stopped him. There was an entire movement of people, because it's a very large community of fine art photographers in the West Coast who Mm -hmm. said, Brett, please don't do this. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, uh, people like Ansel Adams, they're donating their archive to, say, the, uh, I believe, the Center for Creative Photography in Tucson, Arizona, so that students uh, can look at them. People can get inspired from it. People can get inspired from it. Maybe people can reinterpret your work later, but he didn't want to have anything to do with that. So I believe the body of his work, he either burned in a fireplace or he soaked the negatives in water water so that the emulsion would sooner or later be lifted off of the plastic base of the film. Again, they were destroyed. He's a madman. I, I think that's interesting. I do love his work. I mean, that's the reason why I'm a Brett Weston fan. Yeah. Uh, I would love to buy one of his prints. They go in the thousands of dollars. They're it's very a man of his uh, word, that's for sure. That's one of my favorite books. It's called Brett Weston Voyage of the Eye, and it's published by Aperture, which is a, a wonderful company which publishes a magazine called Aperture, and they publish fine art photography books. It's readily available in, in paperback on uh, Amazon on an eBay it usually goes for twenty to twenty-five dollars. So if you'd like to pick up a copy of it, it is uh, it's pretty affordable. I guess we know what to get uh, Dwayne next Christmas, Mike. Yes, 
I gotta find a Brett Weston print. It, it's, it's so amazing to me that someone Crazy would actually, stuff. you know, they'd have the just the sheer nerve to look at their, their life's work and just. But he comes from a, a long line of uh, fine art photographers. His father was, of course, Edward Weston, and his brother Cole Weston is a very well-known fine art color photographer as well. These are amazing. Photos. And uh, Edward Weston's son Kim Weston is still alive. He lives in California, and he does a lot of fine art nude photography, and he runs workshops. This is probably one of his most famous images right here. Is it really? Yeah. The um, and the thing about what he does is this. A lot of people claim that when you're doing black and white photography, you should have detail in shadows. And he kind of just reneged on that idea. If you look at a lot of these areas here, you'll see that they're just jet black. Yeah. And his work became known for showing a lot of areas of blackness in them because he used it as kind of a negative space versus the positive space of areas that show detail. Mm. So when you look at a lot of his pictures, they're really not high contrast, but they have a lot of black in them. And I personally like that. I mean, it has like a, a deep velvety look like to it. What is that? And you look at it and you say, what is that? It and looks it, like another world. It's and insane. it's the kind of thing, exactly, you look at that and you say, it's it's another world, what is it a photograph of? And it's a very, very interesting thing, and it's a very interesting technique that he used, both in photographing it and printing it, and it's one of the reasons why I like his work so much. Wow. Thank you, Dwayne. You're quite welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to move right into uh, what has become, in a very short period of time, a, a favorite for our listeners, which is, uh, we're starting to call Dark Room Corner. Go into the Dark Room Corner. A lot of FPP listeners uh, have been experimenting by developing their own film, and a lot of FPP listeners now want to get into a little bit more of hands-on developing their own. I do have some letters from listeners. This kind of leads into our discussion today on Rodenall. This is from Joe, the same Joe, Joe Labrandi Cowan, that won our... Uh, big big contest joe's having oh. a big show uh joe says i developed my film in d76 mainly because that's all i've ever had and have known to buy i'm interested in learning about different developers and what they do i've heard a lot about rodenol and rodenol like developers and have been anxious to try them out my knowledge on how different developers work and what they do is very limited maybe you could discuss this on the show and this is perfect because not only are you discussing it but that's what he's getting in his package rodenol and all equivalent developer. It's like nuts. It's, it's like crazy. All the planets it's, it's, have lined it's up. It's crazy. The planets have lined up. Things are coming together, Mark, in ways I've never, ever thought they would. <coughs> We're going to discuss Rodinal today, and uh, this is a great book. We've talked about it before. It's called The Dark Room Cookbook. This is uh, by a guy I've known for many, many years. I've probably known him for 15 years, Stephen G. Anshell, Steve Anshell. And uh, whenever you want to know about a formula for paper developer or film developer or fixer, all sorts of chemistry that is esoteric, this is a great place to go. A lot of people want to know about Rodinal. Because as we discussed, I believe, on the last show, AGFA is no longer in the photography business. Correct. And Rodinal was a very, very popular developer with many, many people for its high sharpness. Developers do different things. Some of them are compensating because they can handle contrast. Some of them are known for the smoothness of the tonality. But Rodinal is known as a very, very high sharpness developer. Then AGFA stopped making Rodinal. What happened to it? Yeah, Where did what it go? Happened? What happened to it? I'm using this developer to produce high sharpness negatives, and now I can't find it. Then, all of a sudden, all these little bottles of developers started popping up with something anol. Oh, really? Bluckety blucka anol. 
No, it sounds like rodenol, right? And and people would say, well, is that rodenol or isn't it rodenol? What is it? What is it? Well, the thing of it is, is I'm going to read. I'm going to read directly from the darkroom cookbook because I want people to to fully understand what it is that they're getting when you get a rodenol-like product. This formula is very similar to Agfa rodenol. It's under rodenol type developer. Rodenol is the oldest proprietary formula in use today. The original formula dating back to the 1880s. Wow. Can you? Old West. Old Wild West stuff. Wow. It's one of the first developers ever commercially made. Now, it is considered by some to be the finest all-around film developer, even for modern tea grain films. So, when you see something that says it's a Rodinal or Rodinal-like developer, they're using the chemistry that goes back to the 1880s. I don't think that Rodinol as an ag for product mm. was a proprietary formula, meaning right. it was secretive. Couldn't I think, have been. No, I think this thing's been around. They just marketed they it. They just marketed it under yeah. that name. So what I'm saying is when someone gets a Rodinol-like product and they're saying, is this really Rodinol? It's probably exactly the same mm. thing. The developing agent in it is P-aminophenol hydrochloride, okay. which is significant only from the point of view that that particular developing agent is what gives it its high level of sharpness. Mm. You can mix it from scratch. If you buy this book, it'll tell you how to do it. But when you buy a brand of Rodinol-like developer, I think you're getting exactly the same thing as Agfa Rodinol because the formula's been around for 130 years. I don't think it's a secret. No. Now, for practical considerations, what that means is most people uh, diluted Rodinol 1 to 25, 1 to 50, 1 to 100, depending upon the length of time they wanted to process the film, that depending upon how grainy they wanted the film to be. The longer the time you immerse the film in the wet solution, the more grain you get. Wow. So if you dilute it stronger, 1 to 25 versus 1 to 100, it's a shorter developing time, therefore you get less pronounced grain. Mm -hmm. It's just a personal preference, and you have to run tests to see what you get. So when we're giving away this Rodinol type developer, I would say do a run at 1 to 25, do a run at 1 to 50, do a run at 1 to 100, have a look at your film, see if you like the grain, see if you don't, adjust accordingly. But it's probably the same thing as Rodinol. And that's like one part Rodinol to 50 parts water. Correct. Wow. Okay. It's very, very, it's very, very concentrated stuff. Yes. Mm. I mean, you look at D76, you look at D76 and make it from stock, it's one to one. Huh. This is, you know, 1 to 100. It's amazingly concentrated stuff. So when he gets that Rodinol, don't pour that into the, into the tank and just develop it straight. Oh, yeah, yeah, your, yeah. Your film yeah. will develop in 10 seconds. You know, yeah. you, don't, you don't want that. You definitely want to do a development run where you've diluted it as to what I just said and examine your results and see if it's usable. So that's what I got to say about well, Rodinol. I'd love to know how okay. it got its name. Because it al- I always think of it as a, you know, uh, uh, rat killer, rat it's, poison, it's, right? It sounds like Rodinol. it, doesn't it? It's Rodinol, folks. Come and get your Rodinol. (laughs) That's a problem. Rodinol. I do have some letters. Or a drug like Adenol or Tylenol. Tylenol. Hmm. I do have some letters about home developing. Want me to hit some of these? Hit some of them. This one is about Rodinol. It's from uh, a listener, Andrew. He says, this is about film developing. Highly dilute development is something I've been using for years after being shown by a colleague. I use 1 plus 100 of Rodinol. Once the developer is in the tank, I leave the film at room temperature for for about 1 and 1 quarters of an hour Hmm. before stopping and fixing. I don't agitate or move the tank at all after initial 30-second shake. Hence, we call it stand developing. Well, he says there's no charts for developing, no worrying about pushing or pulling, no worrying 
worries about film speeds, the 1 plus 100 Rodinol leaves to stand for 1 in 1 quarter of an hour and then carry on as usual is just perfect. The reason I prefer Rodinol is that it doesn't cause bromide fogging caused by a buildup of bromide ions in the developer since it doesn't contain bromides. The fogging looks like uneven patches of overexposure, almost like glare in brighter areas of the image. He's saying he prefers stand development. Uh, sort of like dilute it 1 to 100 and walk away. Some people interchangeably use the terms stand development and highly dilute development to mean the same thing. Right. Stand development means you're not agitating the film. Right. So that areas of the film that have been exposed to a lot of light will exhaust the developer in contact with them quickly. Shadow areas that have not been exposed to that much light will continue development. It's a way to tame contrast. Highly dilute developer sort of does the same thing, but you're doing it with developer dilution rather than lack of agitation. When you're using highly dilute developer, you can agitate somewhat. Uh, a lot of people use highly dilute developer in conjunction with no agitation, in other words, stand development, to achieve the same thing, but you can do either one. What do you achieve by not agitating? You reduce the contrast. Yeah. So you say I have a piece of film and there was a shadow of a building <clears throat> and a really, really really, really bright clouds. Mm -hmm. And if you develop that film normally, uh, those clouds would just be black on the negative. If you stand develop, what happens is the development in the area of the clouds happens really, really fast and it's over with because it exhausts all that developer because there's so much light exposed to it. It mm. stops development. The really? cloud area is developed, it stops. But it continues in the shadow area because there's not that much light exposed to it. It's sort of like the shadows, they're developed, they're done. I mean, the light areas are developed, they're done. The shadows continue. Mm. If you agitate, you continue bringing fresh developer in contact with the film, mm. and it continues developing in both areas. Stand development, the development ends in the highlight areas, continues in the shadows. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Are there some folks who you think prefer to uh, do a mix of the of the developer a little stronger so that they could be done in 10 minutes rather than sitting and waiting around? And I'm out? one of those people. You just want to be done. I process sheet film, Tri-X Pan, in Rodinol 1 to 25 in four minutes. I just want it over with. You want it over with. Right. Where some people maybe do their laundry, you know, go to the store, watch. Right. And, I and I rotary process it too, which means not only is it getting little, it's not getting little to no agitation, it's constantly being right. agitated. Mm. Right. But it depends what you photograph. You of know? course, of course. If you're photographing a high contrast situation, then you want to use highly dilute or stand or highly dilute and stand development in conjunction. If you're shooting in soft light, which is what I like to do, then you don't have to worry about that. Right. Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around it. It is. Until you've no, actually... I got it. I yeah, got it. you know. I don't know if I'm. I hope I'm not. I don't know if I'm explaining no. clearly enough. I'm not, pretty thick, and I got it. You know, yeah, so. I understand too. The stronger it is, the quicker it's going to go. Right. Dilute it. You can let it sit longer. Let's yeah. sit longer. Cook longer. Yeah. James from Sydney, Australia has a question about Fixer. He says, I've been processing my own black and white for years, which is why I am writing following Alan Baxter's question in the last show. I don't remember that. Do we talk about Alan Baxter's question? He says, depending on where you live, it might be a bad idea to tip your used fixer straight down the drain because of the silver it has collected from the film. And a tip is to use steel wool in a container used to collect your exhausted fixer. Through the wonders of chemistry, and the steel and fixer react. Therefore, the liquid will become safe to flush with wastewater. Any thoughts on this chemistry? I mean, people just getting yeah, into right. chemistry. I mean, it used to be in the 1970s and 80s. When you're done, you dump it. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of funny and shocking today. Back in the 70s and 80s, you didn't really People think People used of... to dump their used oil down the sewers when they <laughs> changed their car oil. There was a guy oil, in my street who used to do that. You think, there he is, and he had like a bucket of oil. <laughs> don't don't, don't, don't put it in the sewer. For real? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy in my street who used to dump oil. He used to change his own oil in his car, and he used to dump it down the sewer. So changing, you know, or, or all these development chemicals, dumping them down the sink is the same thing. It's not, isn't it? What, it should, what should we done with these chemicals, in Dwayne? F- in Fixer, yes. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of silver in it. Yep, because you've uh, you've removed. Should you pan it? You've reduced. <laughs> you've reduced. You have unreduced silver halide and and yep. the film, and it gets the, you know, it's it, it's in that Fixer, and the correct way to do it is there are Fixer silver recovery systems. No kidding. You ever hear ever hear this stuff? No. It's an actual machine, and you pour, I think you just pour the fixer in it, and it has something to do with, uh, I don't know, ion exchange or whatever, mm. and like it's the same principle as putting the steel in it, but I believe it has an electrical charge as well, right. and it collects the silver onto, I don't know whether it's a, it's some it's some collection system. Right. Then you can supposedly safely dump the uh, used fixer down the drain or get rid of it, and you've, you've recovered the silver. I think people use it just because they want to sell the silver. Oh, like you, gonna say, can you, you can bring the silver, silver to the yeah. jewelry store. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you're a, if you're a photo lab and you've gone through thousands yeah. of gallons of fixer, you, you have a handful of silver there. No kidding. And I think yeah. they used to. Silver's like they, 300 bucks an ounce, isn't it? Yeah, I think they used to do that for money. I don't think it was an environmental concern. But because even if you get the silver out, it's still got sulfur in it. I mean, yeah. it's ammonium thiosulfate. Yeah. It has ammonia in it. It's not good NH4. It's, it's got sulfur it, in it. Someone, someone will take that and treat it and make silver out of it again, right? Uh, I think it'll end up as bling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's right. The, th- the thing of it is, fixers nasty stuff anyway, whether, yeah. you, whether you put the steel wool in it or not. You know, it's nasty stuff. Right. It's, it's ammonium yeah. thiosulfate. It's got ammonia, it has sulfur, and right. it has silver in it now oh after goodness. the fix. So, I mean, what do you do with it? Exactly. What are you supposed to do with it? Dump it in your backyard. Speaking of fixer. It's, it's supposed to be an amazing fertilizer. Oh, is that right? Yes. And what most huh. people do is they actually use it to fertilize things. For You're real. right. You're exactly right. Isn't it noxious, though? I mean, you can't, like, fertilize your garden with it. I wouldn't eat food that was fertilized with it, but can you get it in flour? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> now, Drew from, Drew from Denver, Colorado, he has a question about fixer. He says, I'm not going to have ventilation oh. like I'd have in a real dark room. Mm-hmm. And I know every fixer I've used had a requirement for it. I guess a ventilation requirement. How critical is ventilation in home development? Very. Can I get by using standard fixer, or do I need to hunt around for one that doesn't have the requirement for ventilation if such a thing exists? As an aside, what's the big deal on hardening versus non-hardening fixers? I see a lot of cautions against hardening ones, but no real reason why. Hmm. All right, fixers, the, the fixing agent is either ammonium or sodium thiosulfate. And as I said, there's sulfur in it, and there's ammonia in it, and you don't want to breathe ammonia fumes. That'll hurt your brain. Yeah, and you don't want to breathe sulfur. No. You don't want to breathe it. You want to have adequate ventilation. If you're working mm-hmm. in an environment where you can't get ad- adequate ventilation, then wait until you can. You, if you're doing development in a container like a drum, then you're not breathing the fumes. Right. If you're doing open tray development, oh, Mike, like yes, yes. then you're breathing the fumes, right? Yes. Sure. You, you don't want to do that. No. Hardening versus non-hardening fixer. There are certain developers of film that, for some reason, they don't work well with hardening fixers. Hardeners were added to fixers to make the finished film more scratch resistant. That's the reason why they were added. And a lot of people don't like to use hardening fixers because 
for some reason, some developers, you're not supposed to use them with it. Like, I know if you use Pyro Gallo as a developer, mm -hmm. like Gordon Hutchings, PMK Pyro, or Pyro Max, you're not supposed to use a hardening fixer. No one's explained to me why you're not supposed to. I don't see the reason. Okay. I, I don't think there's a reaction going on. Is there on. a compromise by using it? What do you mean by compromising the image at all? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't really know, though. <clears throat> Maybe if someone out there knows the reason why you should not use a hardener in a fixer with certain types of developer they can write in. Some people think it's harder to wash out. That's why you shouldn't use it. Well, when you go to Freestyle, you walk in and just buy a general fixer. Is it hardening or non-hardening? It should say it on the label. Are, are generally speaking, most non-hardening or hardening? Most are hardening. Okay, all right. You know, it's just something that they incorporate. So you'd have to ask specifically for a non-hardening. The best reason I've been given why you shouldn't use a hardener and a fixer is that it takes longer to wash the fixer out of the film or paper, so don't put it in. <clears throat> right. I've used it in everything I've ever done, and I've never had a problem with anything, so there so you go. So screw those guys. What do they know? Well, fantastic. Well, that about well, wraps very up. Very informative uh, <laughs> segment there that, that was fan fantastic as uh more and more of our listeners are getting into home development home cooking home cooking yes indeed uh that, that about wraps up this particular pot episode number 27 with uh <laughs> <laughs> i got nothing waiting for john to say something i got nothing I with uh you know these amazing amazing co contests that we announced always write to us Film photography podcast at gmail.com. Yo. And uh, we'll, we'll be back in two weeks. With some more exciting stuff. Yes. Some good stuff coming up, though, folks. So, in the dark room, Archie. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, we'll uh, see you. Show.